This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Your Best Year Ever Live, a virtual event to help you set powerful goals for the new year. Claim your seat today at bestyearever.me. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And this week, we're going to be talking about why you need a goal, but not a resolution. Now, if you're a little bit skeptical about goal setting, you're not alone because maybe you set goals in the past and they didn't really work or you thought you set goals and they didn't work. And you think that's a bunch of, you know, kind of motivation, whatever, you know, but we're here to tell you that goal setting can work, but resolution setting, which is what most people are used to, just flat out doesn't work. Well, in fact, according to U.S. News and World Report, 80% of people fail to follow through on their New Year's resolutions. And in fact, most of them give up by mid-February. I mean, that is not very long in terms of how long people are able to stick with these resolutions. And I think this point is really appropriate as we're thinking about, you know, how are we going to make 2021 better than 2020. After all, for a lot of people, 2020 was a really tough year and they're thinking about, you know, what could they do differently? And I think setting goals is one of the big levers to pull. Yeah, no doubt. And I was thinking as you were reading that U.S. News and World Report that 80% of people fail to follow through on their New Year's resolutions. That sounds like a big number, but I think at least 15% of the remaining 20% are lying. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just think very few people, I mean, I'm speaking out of my own experience Yeah, and you know, I've got some age on me. I've known a lot of people and I've gone through a lot of these new year's resolution cycles. Yeah. I think it's extremely, extremely rare for people to follow through. I think so too. And you know, I feel like we are going to see a resurgence of the new year's resolution this year. People who may have been cynical about it in the past are like, you know what, now's the time I've got to set some intentions for 2021. And I feel like what we're going to talk about today is that if you want 2021 to be better than 2020, it is good to have a vision for what that would look like, but intentions or resolutions are not going to get you there. What you need are actual goals. Okay. So Megan, do you remember your husband, Joel, talking about that thing called the fresh start effect? Yeah, I do. It's basically whenever there's a new season in your life, it could be like this year for me, I turned 40 or the new year starts or you have a baby or you get a new job, just something significant happens in your life. And all of a sudden it feels like a fresh start. You know, you're like, wow, this is really a clean slate. And you get all excited and all kind of like gung ho about making big changes in your life. The problem is, is that while that inspires you to want to um, make some resolutions for the year, unfortunately, it kind of wears off if you don't have anything more substantial to pair with the enthusiasm that comes initially. Well, that's why we want to distinguish between resolutions and goals and what we're advocating for, the thing that really does work, and that's based on our experience, and over 50,000 people who have gone through my goal achievement course, Your Best Year Ever, Goals really work. Resolutions, not so much. So, Dad, when did you really become convinced of the power of goal setting? I think when I started college. You know, Mm, I feel mm -hmm. like until then I was a little bit lost and kind of, you know, trying this and trying that. But somehow there was something about college that made me kind of buckle down and get serious. 
And so that's when I first started exploring productivity, goal achievement, and all the rest. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I, I happen to be an Enneagram 3, the achiever. So achieving things is really fun for me. You know, I, right. I like it a lot. Not achieving is not fun. And so I think I got got very serious about, about goal setting. And I started listening to, you know, different people on the topic. I remember my dad uh, paid me to read a book called The Power of Positive Thinking uh-huh. by Norman Vincent Peale. And it wasn't exactly a book about goal setting, but it was kind of an introduction to self-help literature and this whole phenomenon of personal development. And I kind of saw goal setting as a means by which I could improve myself and become something different than what I was, you know, right. improve my state, improve my character, improve my lot in life. So everybody wants to know, how much did you get paid for reading that book? Well, this was so awesome. I wish this would have continued because I would have made it my job. He paid me <laughs> 20 bucks Oh wow! to read that book. And I don't know what it was that he saw in me that needed that book, but I'll never forget it. You know, I, th- I felt like that was an awesome experience for me. And um, I thought it was a good move on my dad's part, too. So this is like in the early 70s, probably, right? Yeah. Early to mid-70s. Yeah. It, would have, it would have been about 1972, maybe? Yeah. So it was $20. A turning point. I mean, that was a lot of money back then. It was. Yeah. And you were really motivated to read as a result. So what about for you, Megan? When did goal achievement or goal setting become a thing for you? Okay. So my first memory, while I think I probably was doing this on and off because of you, you know, as a kid or at least as a teenager, my first memory of something that was close to goal setting was when my uh, younger sister, Mindy, got married. This was about 20 years ago. And we, as a family, after her wedding, everybody besides her uh, went on a vacation and we read a book called Write It Down, Make It Happen. I and forgot it was, about this. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember it now. And our whole family was reading it and we would talk about it at breakfast. And I think that it, it had you just write down everything you could possibly think of that you wanted in your life. And there was it was like a hundred things or something like that. Don't, no, that was my part of it. That was your part of it? Yeah. So I said to, to you and your sisters and and... To Gail, I said, I want to, I gave everybody a yellow legal pad. And I said, I want you during this week to write down a hundred goals that you want to accomplish before you die. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, that's really hard. I mean, the first 10 or 15 or maybe even 20 were pretty easy, but then it was much more difficult. I mean, you think you have these big dreams for your life and you want things that you know, are much far beyond, uh, much farther beyond where you are now. And in reality, connecting with what you want is challenging. And so that was probably my first memory, at least that I can put my finger on right now, when I started thinking about goal setting. Um, and, and I really feel like I never looked back. You know, that was a very empowering experience. Then uh, a, a, probably around that time, within a year of that, I went to a Tony Robbins conference and there was a lot of goal setting that was a part of that, which was neat. Um, anyway, I, I think I really got the bug because I had always been a person who cared a lot about bringing my future self, you know, like my all, all the all the things about myself into the future in congruence with who I wanted to be. You know, didn't want to just kind of drift through my life. I wanted to be intentional. And I discovered that goal setting was one of the best ways to be intentional. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember learning from that exercise just the power of writing things down Mm -hmm. because years later I looked at that same list and was astonished at how much of it had come to pass, even though I didn't consciously take steps to accomplish those things, 
but there was just, you know, and it's obviously works better if you do, but there were just some of those things just by stating the intention, getting clarity on it, writing it down that caused it to become reality. I think that's really powerful. Well, what do you think happens in our lives if we're not setting goals? Well, I think the alternative, and we've said this many times on this podcast, but there's two basic approaches to life. You're either going to drift or you're going to design. Yeah. And goals are a practical mechanism by which you can design the future. Mm -hmm. You can get clarity about what you want, and then you can decide that that this thing that you want has to be caused. Somebody has to cause it to happen. It's just not going to, you know, you're just not going to find a a bottle and rub it and the genie's going to come out and grant you a wish. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. If anybody's got a lead on that, let me know. Right. But but no, you've got to you've got to actually um, get clear. Which, from my ex- my perspective, that's the most difficult part. Mm-hmm. Getting clear what you want. That's the value of writing it down because writing forces clarity. And so you know, I think that's that's what makes the whole thing work. It's the first part of the creative process. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about uh, 2020 and just kind of some of the after effects of that that we're all facing. And I think one of those is that a lot of people have stopped thinking about their future. You know, they're so consumed with the present, with the anxiety of the present, with the limitations of the present that they're not thinking about the future. And they really are just drifting because they don't feel like they have a lot of control in their lives. And, you know, one of the things that I hope will be different for people in 2021 is that we can come to an understanding that while we certainly cannot control everything, we can control enough things to design a great life, regardless of the circumstances outside of us, even though there certainly are, you know, to be sure, going to be continued challenges. I don't, I don't think either of us are under some kind of illusion that 2021 is going to be a cakewalk. I think there's a lot of hard days ahead. And yet we get to still choose, are we going to just drift and just kind of, you know, put our life on pause until it's over? Or are we going to step up to the plate and say, you know what, I'm going to engage, I'm going to design my future. And while I can't control everything, I can control a lot. And I want to get to the end of 2021 with a different feeling that I have at the end of 2020. Yes, I totally agree. Okay, I think we need to spend just a few minutes talking about the difference between a resolution and a goal, because some people are probably thinking, well, it sounds like you're talking about resolutions. They are similar in that you're kind of stating something that you want. The problem is the resolutions are often left vague. So, right, so people say, well, I want to be in better health. Right. Or I want to improve my marriage. Yeah. Or something that's kind of vague and nonspecific. And because it's not, because there's not more clarity, you don't really have a way to mark your progress. You don't really have a way to put together an action plan. You don't even know what strategy would work. So what we're talking about is something that produces more clarity, more specificity. And we teach that in my course, Your Best Year Ever, through an acronym called the SMARTER Framework. Yeah. And I think the big idea here is that the biggest difference between resolutions and goals is that goals are designed to set you up to take action. Resolutions are just aspirational, you know. They're, they're kind of a wish. They're kind of like a wish. And, you know, our friend Jeff Walker says hope is not a strategy. And that's the same same the same thing is true for the rest of your life. You know, hope is not a strategy. You need a real strategy. And if you want to design your life, goal setting is that strategy to help you take action. Okay, so now most people have heard of the SMART framework. GE invented that back in the 1980s, and it meant the goals needed to be specific 
measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's kind of the conventional thing. There's been a few twists, including ours, which is the SMARTER framework. But one of the things that's unique about the SMARTER framework is that based on the latest goal achievement research, our conviction is that that R for realistic actually sets you up to fail. Yeah. It's like the worst possible thing you could do if you actually want to achieve something meaningful. Yeah, because it's not inspiring. You know, like if you think about doing something realistic, I mean... (laughs) When you just think of that word in your mind, it's like, wah, wah. It's just not exciting. It doesn't get you going. It doesn't engage your mind or your creativity or your innovative thinking in any way. Um, It doesn't get you out of bed in the morning. It doesn't really do anything. There's no energy to it. And, you know, realistic might be good when you're planning your Saturday chores, but it's not great when you're planning your life because you're never going to stretch outside of your comfort zone. You're never going to really be able to tap your potential as long as you're in that kind of comfort zone, realistic place. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when, when I hear the word realistic, I think of, you know, a parent talking to a child who has a dream and trying to get them to throttle it back or give up on the dream and say, you know, you got to be a realistic son. Yeah. You know, being an astronaut's not in the cards or being an actor or whatever it is. Right. And, you know, there's that moment of innocence when you rob the child of that thing that they want. Mm-hmm. And and basically what you're saying to him is, son, it's time to settle. Right. You know, it's Ugh. time to give up on the dream and just settle. You know, you're just going to be a drone going to a desk job and that's your lot until life. Mm-hmm. And when you're 65, if you've saved enough money, which, all, oh, by the way, is really fun too. You start saving money for the rest of your life. Maybe you'll have enough money to do what you want to do. Right. You know, I hate that. It's just depressing. So that's one of the big hallmarks of the Smarter Framework is this idea of risky goals. And I'm going to tell you, with all these people, these tens of thousands of people who've gone through the Your Best Year Ever course over the years, we have seen some incredible goals accomplished that when people set them, certainly were not realistic. They had no idea how they were going to accomplish them. And yet they did it and they're better for it. Now they've gone on even better things, bigger and better things. Well, let me just ask this question here. And again, the R in SMARTER doesn't stand for realistic. In our framework, it stands for risky. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the E stands for exciting. We have seven attributes of a well-formed goal. The goal has to be exciting. If the goal is not exciting to you, then you're also not going to have the motivation to complete it. And that motivation can't come externally from somebody else, but it has to be something that kind of wells up within. It's something that gets you out of bed in the morning and and something that you really want. And then the R stands for relevant. And we don't have time to get into all this today, but the relevant stands for it needs to be kind of, it needs to fit in your season of life. Mm-hmm. It needs to be congruent with your values. It needs to be congruent with the other goals that you have. So those three ways in which it's it's relevant So to go back to risky for a minute, what is a goal you're proud of accomplishing that substantially changed your life? Yeah. So this year, one of the things that I decided to do, and actually this goal is not accomplished yet. It's it's very close to being accomplished, but it's not completely accomplished yet. Uh, that's because at the time of this recording, we are at the end of November, not yet at the end of December. So I have to follow up at some point. Um, But I set a really big financial goal for the company this year. In fact, I did it in April. And that may sound like, wait, do you remember what was happening in April? Why would you do that? And the reason that I did it is because I wanted our team to feel like um, they had a stretch goal to rally around that was 
a reminder that we were not victims of the COVID-19 crisis, that whatever was happening externally, uh, that we still had control within our sphere of influence and we were going to exercise it to the full extent. And right now we are uh, projecting dramatically ahead of our original budget for the year. And we're on track to make major progress toward that goal. And I think we'll hit it. And, you know, one of the things that was really interesting about setting that goal is that uh, this was true for me. And it was also true for our entire executive team and even uh, our larger team. We had to become somebody different on the way to that goal than we started out. It was no, there was no way that the leader that I was on whatever date I set that goal, you know, April 15th, let's say, was the leader who was going to be able to accomplish that. I had to grow in order to be able to be in a position to deliver that goal. And the same is true for my executives. The same is true for the rest of our team. And I think that is one of the most compelling reasons to set goals outside of your comfort zone that are truly risky because they call something out of us that would otherwise never be demanded. And we would never push ourselves to do, except that we've put ourselves on the line in some way. There's something to lose if we don't accomplish it. And therefore, we're going to push ourselves harder than we would normally. And we can achieve something that ordinarily would be just impossible. That's a great example. Awesome. Well, I try to think back on my own life and think of a big goal that I was proud of that had some element of risk. One of them, I don't know, this this may be a fluke. You tell me what you think. But, um, you know, one of the first goals I remember setting was a goal to get married. Yeah. And I put a big list together, not having any prospects in mind. I put a list together of sort of the character qualities and attributes that I wanted in a wife. Uh-huh. And it was a ridiculous list. <laughs> it was, you know, it felt like pie in the sky kind of crazy stuff. Yep. I wanted things of my wife that were mostly character things. Like I wanted somebody who was playful. I wanted somebody, you know, who was, um, could, and it sounds arrogant to say, but like keep up with me intellectually, somebody I could have conversations about topics with. I was a philosophy major and I was really interested in those kinds of things and books. And I wanted somebody that could converse with me on a level that, that, that I thought would keep it interesting. I wanted somebody that was affectionate, that would be a good mom. You know, I just had this whole list of things. There were probably a hundred things. And Megan, I know you had a list similar <laughs> before you met Joel. I did. But I'll tell you what was funny is when I met Gail, I mean, literally within the first five minutes, I thought, I think this is her. Yeah. Well, I had the exact same experience. I don't think I've ever, we've ever talked about this before. This is really funny. Um, so I did the same thing. I've been married almost 12 years in January it would be 12 years. And I had been engaged before. It was a really tough breakup on the backside of that. And I was like, okay, I got to do something different for the next time. And I've got to be much clearer about what I want because apparently that was part of the problem previously. And so I made a list again of a hundred things. I didn't know that you had done that. I think I read it in an O magazine article or something about someone that had done that. And I was like, well, what can it hurt? So I went for a little retreat and I got my legal pad out and I wrote a hundred things down. And I mean, it was like so detailed. It was, it was kind of ridiculous. I had everything on there from, uh, you know, knows how to dance to uh, wears cowboy boots. It's hilarious because you guys are laughing because you know, Joel does not wear cowboy boots or know how to dance. Um, however, he basically checked every other thing on that list. And a lot of it was character stuff too. And it was amazing. I, I remember um, the first time I met him, uh, or we knew each other casually before, but the first time we were kind of together in a more uh, you know, concentrated way, I was like, 
this is my husband. I mean, I, I knew the first time. It was crazy. It was so crazy. And we actually, uh, from the time we started dating to the time we got married was uh, less than six months. So there, That's you, awesome. there you go. Well, we've had all kinds of goals, you know, throughout our life. And I, I can think of, you know, writing my first book, getting on the New York Times bestsellers list. Those were literally goals that I read every day and you know, struggled to complete and wondered if they were going to come to pass. And then they did. Starting Michael Hyatt and Company, I remember one of my goals was uh, one year was to break a million dollars in sales revenue. It was the second year I was in business. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, now wait a second. So I'd have to be generating about $100,000 a month right. in revenue to make that happen. And I remember the exact uh, month that it happened because I called one of my good friends Robert. And I said, you're never going to believe this. <laughs> I said, we did a hundred thousand dollars in sales revenue this month. And man, he was, his business was pretty far beyond mine. And he was celebrating with me, high-fiving me. He was so excited about it. I was so excited. That's awesome. And, and, you know, looking back on it, that seems like from, you know, our vantage point and it's all relative to where, wherever you're at, but that seems so small, but it was so significant. Yep. And again, it started out as a goal. We took the time to write that down. I took the time to write that down on my annual goals, and then watched it with a lot of hard work come to pass. So dad, what would you say to somebody who feels overwhelmed by the thought of setting goals, maybe either because they haven't done it before, they've tried and failed, or because after 2020, honestly, it just feels kind of risky to hope that 2021 can be any better. Well, first of all, you're normal. I think that's how most people feel, and that's fine. And frankly, it's not your fault because you probably didn't take a goal-setting course in school. Right. Uh, they don't teach this in college, sadly, because I think it's one of the greatest technologies, if I can use that term, that's ever been invented for achieving anything. And I mean, you can go back you know, to the beginning of time. People had aspirations, and over time, those became you know, goals and people set them on paper and, and people saw that they were able to achieve things. And so there's, it's not your fault, but there is a simple methodology. Maybe that's a better word than technology. There's a simple methodology or framework. And I cover all that in your best year ever. And if you remember how that course started, you came to me back when we, we wanted to create, I think it was a bonus for our platform university students. And you said, dad, You've been doing this goal setting thing for as long as I've known you, which right. was your whole life. <laughs> and I think that you ought to sort of distill this, deconstruct it, and teach people how to do what you do. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first time we we shot the uh, your best year ever, because that's how I approached it. I always said to myself, how can I make this next year better than last? Right. And I knew that I could only do it by design, not by drift. And that I'd have to be intentional. I wanted to write it down. And so that was had been my practice for a couple of decades and then you said, let's turn it into a course, which over the course of several years forced us to, to really dive deep, not just me, but our whole writing team into the research on goal achievement. That's right. So your best year ever represents the best distillation of goal achievement research to make it simple and easy. So if you're tempted to be overwhelmed, you don't have to be. Mm -hmm. This is a simple framework that anybody can use that can take you from where you are to where you want to be. Now, it may not all happen next year, but you can be in a substantially different place at the end of 2021 than you are today when you're listening to this episode. 
That's right. So if you're thinking, man, I got to get my hands on that course, there's also um, a live version of that, a virtual live version. So you can either do uh, the course or the live event. Both of those are available at bestyearever.me. Um, and, you know, the great thing about it is we walk you through a paint by numbers process to set your goals for next year. We're going to address things like how do you process the disappointments of 2021? How do you think about the future when uh, it feels like a lot of things are outside of your control? How do you connect with yourself again and dream again about what you really want? Um, and it just gets me excited to think about those of you listening and what this could mean for your future to join us in this process of goal setting for 2021. Again, uh, you can go to bestyourever.me me to find out more about the course and the live event. So dad, we're about at the end of our time today, but you know, I was just wanting to know your thoughts on this. Um, What do you think is at stake in 2021 if we choose to not set goals? Well, a lot, you know, because the alternative to setting goals is just kind of taking life as it happens. Yeah. And I, I hope that people have a sense that they're done with that, that they're tired of, you know, waiting on election results, waiting on COVID tests, waiting on the economy to improve, but to realize that we have amazing agency over our lives. So the things that really matter, you know, we we have control of, not total control, I get that, but we can take more control than we've had in the past. And 2021 has got to begin with an intention It's got to be more than that, though. It's got to be, we've got to have clear goals for what we want to achieve in 2021 if it's going to be better than 2020. And it's really my hope and prayer that everybody listening to this will be determined to do that, to to stop kind of waiting for this hiatus to be over so that they can resume their life. Look, this hiatus can end when you say so. So stop drifting, start designing. Your best year ever is a great place to start. You don't have to buy it, but uh, we think it's a wonderful course that will save you time and make it so much easier for to set goals that really work in 2021. Well, Dad, thank you so much. I think this has been a really practical episode, and I hope that it has inspired you guys to get excited again about the new year, about what's possible in 2021. We look forward to being back with you next week. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Your Best Year Ever Live a virtual event to help you set powerful goals for the new year. Claim your seat today at bestyearever.me.